Welcome back to the Martial Arts Mania Podcast. I'm AJ. And I'm, and I'm, wait, what am I? Gavin. Ooh. Sorry, I was, I was going to go with a, with a different intro and then it went in a different way. Well, I'll tell you what you are. You are in attendance for our second annual spooky Halloween martial arts themed episode. Oh, yeah. That's right. So uh, last year was the first year we did kind of a slightly, you know, though definitely like Halloween horror themed martial arts film. We did the Miracle Fighters, which was a Hong Kong kind of Taoism fantasy uh, martial arts film. So not as much horror, but kind of like mysticism and mm-hmm. uh, witchcraft and magic. So this year we're doing more of a straightforward kind of horror movie, which we're excited to talk about. It's a lifelong favorite of both of ours. So we will get to that later in the episode. But in the meantime, how are you good, sir? I'm, I'm doing quite well. Things are going well. Temperatures at a real sweet spot where it's still nice and warm, but it's not, uh, not toasty. Yeah, Fresno's actually been lovely the last few days. Even right now, I have to go for a jog after this. And at the, the peak, it's going to be 77. So that's quite Isn't that nice great? here. That's yeah, whereas really great. up until last week, I think, it was 92 around that same time of the day. So, and that wasn't bad. We're like, oh, it's only 92 at, you know, the, the hottest point of the day. That's pretty good. So fall is here, as I mentioned last episode. Well, uh, speaking of running, I actually forgot to tell you this, but our our friend of the podcast, uh, longtime listener, James, is training for the New York uh, Marathon again. I think this is his second time. So, Man, those marathon runners, they're, uh, they're loco. I've got mad respect for them because yeah. uh, running a marathon is, and I don't think people quite grasp how long a true marathon is. It's like, what, 23 miles? Or is it? I, I feel like it's in the 23 to 27 mile range. Yeah, that's. That's bonkers, man. Like, I just came and contemplate doing that. It's, you know, there's some sports that become mental, a mental challenge, and then there are other sports that become a physical challenge. I feel like marathon is one of those that is both. Oh, and I've read about some of the the top, like, and I'm not sure how marathons work, like the marathon runners that do those ones that are like take a whole day to do, or I mean- not a whole day, like the, the 24 even, hour run and then the 100 like mile run. Yeah. Yeah. I was reading about this one lady who's like one of the greatest champions, or whatever, and how people, they'll just straight up pee and poop their pants and stuff to keep going. And I'm sorry, it's a little graphic, uh, but those yeah, are graphic I, words, AJ. Very I, I, graphic. I, yeah. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm seriously, they're just like, yeah, that's just when you're in the race and you're going, sometimes you just, hey, when you got to go, you got to go and you can't slow down. I'm like, oh my God. Like, that's that's hardcore. It's dedication, yeah. but I, I don't think people do that in the New York or Boston. No, no. Anyway, yeah, we don't mean to imply yeah. that people are doing that. But this is more the hundred hundred mile. Maybe the homeless people on the side watching, but not the people participating. <laughs> mm. And with that, and, speak, and speaking <laughs> of homeless people, uh, why don't you share your little uh, that dilemma. that is true. It, it did take about two and a half hours to get to work today. I don't know if this was a citywide sweep, but the underpass to the 405 freeway along Washington Boulevard and the underpass to the 110 freeway near Pico Boulevard were both being were both blocked off completely to traffic both ways um, were being cleared out dump trucks, uh, LAPD, fire trucks, uh, you know, emergency services. And so anyway. I guess, you know, grand scheme of things, 
people without a home are more inconvenienced than LA traffic drivers. But this, they were doing this right during a, a rush hour, which explains why AJ was sort of waiting for me a little bit today to launch this podcast recording because there was a, a lot of massive delays uh, throughout the city of LA today. And it's interesting because my years of living in LA, uh, how they would choose to do certain construction jobs unannounced at peak traffic time. And so sometimes your assumption is, oh, I guess because it could only be done during those hours, like they need daylight or something. No, and then you would have, you'd see what they were doing and you're like, no, that could easily be done in the middle of the night or something. It's like, why don't they do it then? It's I just always found the scheduling for those kind of uh, tasks was not very well thought out. Yes, I would say that the the city planning in LA has leaves room for uh, leaves room for a lot of growth and correction. Oh, that's a nice way of putting it. Yeah, yeah, it was politically correct today. There you go, there you go. So, what else is new with you? Uh, just kind of getting into a really nice workflow, uh, playing some soccer, reading some books. I sent you a, a picture of a couple of books I'm reading, or a book I'm reading. You know, just. Uh, I made a commitment to myself to fin- try to finish, I think, 24 books this year. So two books a month on average. And, you know, sometimes I flip through multiple books, but I'm getting near the end of this one book and I'm happy to, to check another one off the list. Well, according to our friend Sifu Alex Richter at the Kung Fu Genius Podcast, that's actually the faster way to finish books is oh. you read multiple books at a time because – uh, apparently the studies show you have a tendency if you're reading just one book, obviously you get burned out and then you got to put it down. Whereas if you're reading multiple books, you can read like a bit of one, then jump to the other one. And then you actually retain more information that way as well. Interesting. Well, right now I'm going between war and peace and Anna Karenina. Ah, that's what Ooh. I figured. That was my guess. That was my yeah, guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, war and peace takes all year to read. So, uh, <laughs> uh, that'll definitely be book number 24, but right on man. Reading, reading. It's fundamental. Power. Yeah, man. Um, so I, I do I don't I, do we have movie news quote because I, I movie news quote I just put our two regular segments together. You did, Is, uh, you did. Uh, movie news. Uh, I don't think I have anything new. Uh, I've watched a couple movies, but uh, nothing new. I mean, I just read again today. Apparently. They're going to try to renegotiate again, you know, and uh, there's been more announcements about films being postponed, like the second or I I guess I should say the next Mission Impossible film, the follow up to the last one, has now been delayed by a year. Yes. Which is crazy. But I'm assuming it has to do with reshoots, maybe like that's the reason why not just the publicity for the film, because you'd imagine by next summer that the strikes will be over, you'd think. But maybe I, I just... I don't know. It just seems loco, like some of the, the postponements of stuff that's already done. And I get it, but yeah. Uh, so, I, I have I, no, I have no movie news myself. I have no uh, movie news myself either, but uh, I, I do have a quote. I have four quotes from the same movie and I'm vacillating between which one to choose. And I've chosen. Okay. So 
yeah, but real quick, uh, just an update on me. For some people that know, I competed this last weekend. Uh, I had a uh, Muay Thai fight up in the Bay Area. I unfortunately ended up losing a decision. Uh, it happens. I fought a very, very game, good uh, young opponent who is undefeated. Uh, he's an amazing martial artist and fighter. We got to talk a bit before and after, so uh, it was an honor to share the ring with him. But uh, unfortunately, I didn't bring my my A game. Uh, rounds two and three, I'd say I brought my maybe C plus to B minus game. So at least we made it competitive and gave the the audience a good fight throughout. But uh, he was a very dynamic uh, fighter, very skilled, and my hats off to him. Next time, I'll come back stronger. Uh, I had a little uh, hesitation in the first round, which he capitalized on. Very smart of him. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to getting back in there, though, uh, working on the things I need to work on uh, and uh, giving better performance next time and uh, racking up some wins. But, yeah, it was uh, great fighting uh, for this promotion, uh, the Legends uh, fight promotion. We were in the Bay Area, so we were fighting below the USS Hornet, the battleship. Wow. And so how was, was that? Well, how was okay, the first so off? What's the environment like? Here here's the deal. So uh we'll just say the event didn't start on time, which isn't <laughs> uncommon. So this is a pro am card. So uh earlier in the day, not related to this event, they had uh, point muay thai like all day. So that's the light contact, like point kickboxing type thing. So that was in the morning. And then our event started in the afternoon. So they start off with uh and it's a pro am card, which means amateurs and professionals fighting on the same card. So the first, you know, it was actually kind of blended. Uh, they were throwing some of the, they threw like one or two pro fights early on, but typically the way it works is they will start with the more amateur fights first. Like if it's your first fight, you're probably gonna be the first fight on the card. Right. And you know, that's, for example, you'll start off. Those are the fights where it's gloves, shin guards, headgear, so full contact. But and then towards the end is usually where it's the, the higher level amateur fights and then the pro fight. So I was, Fight number 12 of 16. So, okay. Yeah. So, That's great. Uh, yeah. So, I was at the tail end. Uh, and the problem was, by the time, well, the plus side was, by the time we fought, it was completely dark out. The, uh, so, the view was incredible. So, it mm -hmm. looked like something out of Street Fighter. That's what everyone kept saying because the background was literally like Guile's stage on Street Fighter 2 Turbo because the okay. battleship was behind us. Then, behind that was a scenic view of the Bay Bridge in San Francisco. So, I'm really <laughs> that is like excited. Street Fighter. Yeah, I'm really excited to get some pictures uh, once the, I find them somewhere online. But uh, the tough part was warming up for the fight. It was completely pitch blackout. So me and my teammate, Danny, we, we almost start, well, we, we did start laughing about it cause I couldn't see the mitts. I was like, I'm, I'm trying to hit him, dog. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was a great experience overall. Uh, it was my first full rules Muay Thai fight in four years. Uh, and yeah, uh, hats off to my opponent. Once again, an amazing martial artist, amazing, uh, young man. He's going to go far. I'm, I'm looking forward to see, uh, seeing where he, he goes. Uh, I think he'll definitely turn pro and uh, he'll uh, he'll be a champ there as well. But yeah, I'm as far as me, I'm not finished. I'm going to get back in there. Uh, I still got something to prove and I still feel I have the skills to do it. So yeah, keep it. Well, I mean, out. you know, we, we talked about this a little bit, you know, via text at least, but essentially, you know, uh, a lot of respect for your dedication, your discipline. And as far as like just watching your technique, I've never seen someone who is the perpetual student wanting to learn more, being a sponge, soaking it up, and then incorporating it into your own 
own system, your own style, your own signature. So, uh, and and that's glad- the key that I, I didn't yeah. do with this fight. That both my my current team I'm working with and uh, speaking with our Sensei Sugarfoot afterwards. That's something I didn't do. That both wanted me to do was utilize my style. I was kind of I'm I've been a little caught in between as I learn a lot of great new stuff, uh, and so I, I've got to just grasp putting it all together. So I'm looking forward to taking the rest of this year and just still training full time, but really, you know, getting back to training for fun, like getting in the lab, as Sugarfoot would say, like getting back into my flow, into my groove uh, so that my next fight, you know, mentally I'm prepared. I'm there. Physically, I was in amazing shape for this fight. I just couldn't pull the trigger. uh, If that makes sense, you know, I was just too static, too, too static. And once I started getting going, it was too little, too late. Uh, and in the amateurs, you know, it's three round fights. You can't afford to start slow. Like for example, Benny, the jet, one of our heroes was a slow starter, but he was fighting 10 round fights. It didn't matter Mm -hmm. if you started off the three or even four rounds. I I remember watching one of his fights where, you know, they even talked about, and Benny is always a slow starter. And like the first three rounds, he really actually didn't do anything. And the guy was beating him, not like beating him up, but just beating him on points and stuff. Yep. Then out of nowhere, it was either round four or five, right at the beginning, Benny turned on and knocked the dude out just cold and the fight was over. And because, I, I think I know exactly what fight you're speaking of. Yeah. And I mean, you can afford to do that when you have 10 to 12 rounds, but with the three round fights, you can't. And that's something my opponent did incredible. Also, he came out aggressive and that's something I need to start doing as well so i mean it, yeah if we think about like truncating three rounds if, if if you just have three rounds essentially like what what viewers and audience members might not understand is you're essentially putting three to four rounds within each round that's the story arc yeah. within each and it's like so it's unnatural you have to actually you actually have to fight uh fight what's natural and, and, uh, yeah, so again, like I, my hat goes off to you for your perpetual dedication to training and, and, and learning and, and, uh, you know, like I said, you're, you're an inspiration, um, to those around you, my friend. Thank you. Thank you. Good, sir. And I hope to inspire more and, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to getting back in there again and, uh, proving what I can do. So once again, uh, Thank you to the promotion for letting me fight. Thank you to my opponent who uh, was an incredible fighter. And yeah, now let's get into these movie quotes, my friend. What do you got for me today? Okay, so I whittle it down to this one quote. That's who you remind me of, an evil Mr. Rogers. Oh, I know this. Uh, That's who you remind me of. An evil Mr. Rogers. I've got the other quotes from the film if yeah, you start give, to... Give, give me, give me some more. Simon says, die. Oh, uh, Con Air. No. No, wait. Simon's... Okay, give me another one. Okay, I'll give you another one. We're police officers. We're not trained to handle this kind of violence. Demolition Man. Yes. There we go. That was so the Simon. I, I would, yeah, I yeah, was yeah, just yeah. thinking of something that is uh that has just as great a villain as the film we're discussing today and Wesley Snipes. The fact that they come together as one. And and Demolition Man's such an underrated one. I that's one if it's still I think it's on HBO Max. I gotta watch with Jessica because that's one she would love too. And it's it uh 
I don't know why it doesn't get more the credit it deserves because it's such a it's such a cool concept. It's such yeah. a well-made film. It's so fun. The screenplay is great. The performances are great. Like you have Wesley Snipes kind of stepping up. This I want to say it was kind of one of his first big action roles. At that point, he was still known as just one of the hottest young actors in Hollywood. Uh, I mean, from New York area, but still. And then suddenly you see him doing all these amazing martial arts moves. You're like, wait, what? Because this would have been, or maybe this was like the same year as Passenger 57 or right it's after. It's 90, 93. So it's right. probably, it's released around the same time. Right. But he's just so good in it. And the performances of the supporting cast are so good. And Stallone is great per usual. You know, once again, critics at that time, especially just loved to hate on Stallone, even if it wasn't just, I mean, yeah, he did movies at that time like Oscar, which, uh, sorry. Uh, stop I mean, or my mom will shoot. Stop or my mom will shoot, which I enjoyed Oscar. Stop or my mom will shoot. Uh, yeah. I agree with you there. Yeah, like when yeah. you, when uh, Oscar actually was a lot of fun, but right. yeah. Yeah. But anywho, great choice. So let's segue into talking about the film we're talking about today. Do you want to make the introduction today? Well, today we are discussing the one and only film that resurrected the Marvel franchise, Blade. Sorry, Wesley Snipes, Chris Christopherson, and Stephen Dorff. That's right. Directed by Stephen Norrington, written uh, by David S. Goyer, uh, a, a famous, uh, if I'm pronouncing his last name right, uh, quite a well-known comic book writer. This would have been his first real big film, if I'm not mistaken. And then he'd go on to write the Dark Knight trilogy mm -hmm. and a bunch of other famous comic book films and released in 1998 by New Line Cinema. So uh, yeah, Blade, man. If you haven't seen Blade, and you're listening to this podcast, the Martial Arts Mania podcast, I suggest you pause this, you go to HBO Max, and you sit back and watch it. And watch it in a movie theater type environment if you can. So real quick, you know, we always rewatch our movies before we talk about them. This was a last second thing for us, so I didn't rewatch it till this morning. Luckily for me, I couldn't sleep this morning. Like I woke up at four and couldn't go back to sleep for some reason. So I got out of bed around 530. It's still pitch black downstairs uh, in our living room where our TV is. So I put on Blade and it was like a movie theater, which I don't get that often. And it was just so incredible to watch, especially the opening sequence. So you, you got to watch this film. But anywho... Blade. Wow. You you nailed one of the main things. This was the film that revitalized, really not even revitalized, brought to life the Marvel Cinematic Universe because prior to this, there hadn't really been a big Marvel or successful Marvel film. Uh, you look at the Marvel films from the 90s, the unreleased Fantastic Four uh, from Roger Corman. Mm -hmm. uh, you had the Punisher film. Mm -hmm. From the early 90s, which as a kid, I loved. I, I Actually, I have the VHS tape uh, somewhere over here still. Uh, and, you know, you had the Dolph Lundgren Punisher movie, which didn't do very well. You had the Spider-Man TV movies. You had the Hulk TV series, which was probably the most successful yeah. uh, entity. But they just hadn't really been able to capitalize on their characters in a cinematic setting. But that wasn't just Marvel. That was all comic book movies pretty much until like Superman, right? And then even the Superman franchise jumped the shark. But then Batman, 89's Batman with Tim Burton revitalized comic book movies again. But then even that one jumped the shark when it, you know, Joel Schumacher kind of took over and Tim Burton left and then and it was right for this film where we had Batman and Robin, which kind of mm -hmm. fizzled out that too. So 
Blade kind of came out of nowhere. Not the most well-known, in fact, not a very well-known character from the Marvel Universe, but this film was proof that a comic book movie could be dark, adult, gritty, and extremely successful at the box office because I think that was another fear or mindset was that, oh, comic book movies are for kids, right? So Mm -hmm. it's got to be, kids got to be able to watch it. This is not a kid-friendly film whatsoever and still did very well in the box office, as did the second film. Third film, not as much. But, so Blade is groundbreaking in that sense because if we didn't have Blade, we probably wouldn't have the modern Marvel Cinematic Universe because this was the film that let Marvel know like, oh, snap, we can make money off these. They didn't make jack off of this film. Their contract, if I'm not mistaken, they made very little from Blade, but then obviously let them know we might be onto something here in terms of us making our films ourselves and so forth. Mm -hmm. So yeah, this film is very significant, very influential on that aspect. As far as being an action and martial arts film, it is also extremely significant and influential. It was one of the first big mainstream films, keep in mind, year prior to The Matrix, that did a really good job of combining Hong Kong style action with American style martial arts action. I say Hong Kong martial arts action with American style martial arts action, whereas The Matrix would be like straight Hong Kong. This film was obviously made by people that enjoyed Hong Kong martial arts films and put together a kick-ass action picture with Wesley Snipes being one of the driving forces behind that, he himself a lifelong martial artist and also being influential within the choreography. You know, it, it's really int- So I, I, uh, I don't know how many times I've watched this film, but uh, I went back this morning and just uh, so re- after rewatching, just going back to count the fights, there are, I believe, 10 fight sequences in this film. Uh, furthermore, you could make the argument that this film has the best fight scenes in, in a Hollywood martial arts film. Now, that's, that's saying a lot. It's and saying I think a lot, but I it, think it's a legitimate argument. I, it, would, it wouldn't necessarily be mine, but it could. It could. I'd it have could. To yeah, it, it, it could. But. It could. And I mean, there, there are a lot of there are a lot of uh, straight to video films, straight to streaming films. And I mean, obviously, like AJ and I have have uh, just I don't know raved over Accident Man two as being like one of the, the I, I I still think Pinnacles, Blood and Bone, another fantastic film with great martial arts. But there is a little bit of straight to streaming, straight to video aspect from. So when I bring this up, the the caveat is as a Hollywood film because. While Hollywood films would incorporate martial arts, I kind of feel like between this and Rapid Fire, these these films kind of and I mean a lot of like Jean Claude Van Damme movies sneak through as well, but they're not always necessarily extended martial art fight sequences for his Hollywood films. What I what I would go to say is I think your statement might I mean is possibly hundred percent correct for pre two thousand or like pre two thousand like because the Matrix yes. is kind of its own entity there ninety nine but. Like before the huge, this was right as that influx of Hong Kong was coming to America. Uh, And like, so you can't really count Rumble in the Bronx. That's a Hong Kong film, right? And stuff like that. But this film was like the tail end of taking that same thing, that rapid fire. And I love rapid fire, that rapid fire style and making it a little more slick and polished. And if Mm -hmm. you look at the reason why, Jeff Amato was one of the driving forces behind yes. Rapid Fire, and he's also in this film as a stuntman and obviously behind the scenes. So you had some very experienced people working on this film. 
experienced both within the Hollywood scene, the martial arts scene, and familiar with the Hong Kong martial arts scene. And the, it's just these fight scenes still deliver to this day. Absolutely. And on top of that, it's not just incredible fight scenes. It's incredible fight scenes in a film that is just shot so well, designed so well, uh, lit so well, costume designed so well. The colors, everything is just done perfectly like a comic book. It takes that Tim Burton dark gothic style but puts it in a realistic setting and that's not to take anything away from batman 89 because i love batman 89 but it's purposely supposed to look like it came almost straight out of a comic book or you know and german expressionism is really big in that setting whereas this is just taking gritty that outdoor stuff is gritty real life it never really clearly states where they're supposed to be right city wise yeah uh but and then on top of that we get some interior design work which is just really cool really slick and so just every little aspect of this film comes together so perfectly. And then obviously the music. So it took the Mortal Kombat cue, which was the first one to really do the pulse pounding techno. Mm -hmm. And But instead we got solid fight scenes throughout the entire movie, unlike Mortal Kombat 95. So yeah. There's, there's you know, there's, it's really hard to look at this film and not enjoy even just the set design, even yeah. like, you know, the, and as you're, as you're speaking, like, as you're d talking, the, the outside sequences, they feel so real. The apartment sequence feels, everything feels alive. And it's just the depth of set dressing that they put into, into this film. It's just, everything works. Every, every location fits the characters of the people who would be there, whether it's uh, where Blade and Whistler work out of, whether it's uh, the apartment with the doctor, the park, the, the Japanese nightclub that is the gateway down to the archives. Just everything just works so well in this film. Yes. So it's funny you mentioned, you have no idea how many times you've watched this movie. This is one of the rare ones. I can't remember the first time I watched it, but I definitely remember that it was uh, a taped off of TV version, which 99.9% .9 of the time was TBS, the Superstation. Mm -hmm. uh, occasionally USA. I remember my first version of Police Story I taped was off of USA, but it was... TBS, USA, and a occasional dark horse was TNT, but mm -hmm. TNT was kind of focused on original content at that time in sports. They didn't do as many of the, the movies I would watch, but so I definitely had a taped off a TV version in the late nights because obviously it came out in 98, so it was probably the next year when it was first making its cable debut, but I, I do specifically remember the first time I watched Blade 2 because that was when I was either a freshman or sophomore in high school and I was old enough to, at that point, watch an R-rated movie. Uh, and so I had obviously already seen Blade. So it was probably like 99 or 2000 at the latest that I first saw Blade and just remember being blown away, uh, especially... I mean, and keep in mind at this point, remember, I'm already super well-versed into Hong Kong cinema. And mm -hmm. I've talked about this in the past where a lot of the times... I would just kind of turn my nose up at a certain American martial arts cinema I just didn't think was up to par with 
Hong Kong martial arts cinema. But this one never had that feeling for saying there's not a single fight sequence in this where I'm like, huh, they could have done that better. Where of course they could have, there's certain stuff they could have done better, but each one is just so dynamic and explosive and fun and done in its own unique way. It doesn't feel like it's trying to rip off anybody or it's like derivative of anything. It's just its own unique flair of hard hitting American martial arts, but with that fast pace, kinetic energy of a Hong Kong film and killing vampires, dog. And the funny part is I have this classic thing I say a lot and I, I realize only I know what it means. And so when I tell people, they kind of look at me like I'm weird. <laughs> and like when I go jogging uh, and I exercise, I have a tendency to listen to, I guess it would be like really kind of fast paced, for lack of a better term, techno music. I know that's not, that was just a blanket statement when like I was a kid, right? And it's not technically, I guess, te techno or dance. It's like, uh, I, I don't know, electronica. It's like that as I, so the, what I say is I like to listen to when I work out, cause people ask me, cause you know, obviously I've, I've worked in the fitness industry for years. Like what kind of music you do? I'm like, I listen to music that I can kill vampires to. And it's a complete <laughs> reference to blade and like, dun, 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 you know, like fast pulse pounding techno, like, you know, dance music type thing. Like that's what pumps me up. And that's what accentuates these fight scenes, but not all of them are set to that. In fact, some of the fight scenes, including the one in the archives with the phenomenal kicking of uh, yes. is Ebony Adams. She's a, a martial artist. I actually follow her on social media. Incredible. That ki the kicking of hers is on par with flash Lake's tan, which, but anyways, I digress. We can talk about her later, but that whole sequence has no music. And it's I know. still amazing. The, so that's something that's, that people might try to say is, oh, it's only good because the music, like, no, that they're just great fight scenes. No, no, you're you're, you're absolutely right. I, that, that was one of my notes that where the fight sequence were all of a sudden, like where we have music, we we open with like that, that techno beat action sequence and we have a techno beat action sequence at the end, but right in the middle. I think that is the dead center fight scene or it's, yeah, it's number five. Uh, I have a list here. Nice. So it's silence. It's the fight. It's it's the 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 room itself, the glass, the paper, the kicks. It's silent. It's fantastic, and it's the metal as well, or the silver. I'm sorry. Yeah, and not it's only do metal. you have uh, Ebony Adams in there, uh, then you get him facing off against Jeff Amata and uh, uh, one of the Ree brothers, so mm -hmm. Simon Ree. And, uh, and you know, it's Simon Reed because he does his trademark key. I like, yeah, like and you can instantly know, oh, that's him. But, uh, the thing I like about that sequence too, is Wesley Snipes does a little bit of kind of trapping hand stuff with Jeff Amata, who for people that don't know, Jeff Amata is one of the OG stunt martial arts guys in Hollywood and also uh protege of Dan Inasano. So he comes from the Inasano lineage, obviously a lot of, you know, JKD, Wing Chun, Filipino martial arts stuff. So, and Wesley Snipes makes it look very believable. Whereas some, you know, you've seen that choreography thrown into fight scenes sometimes because it actually, maybe sometimes actors that are physically less capable think, oh, we can teach them how to like, you know, kind of trap and slap hands. And it, it, but it doesn't come off looking good. But Wesley Snipes, everything he does in this film, martial arts wise, looks good, whether it's kind of more of a, uh, Kali or JKD based trapping hands, whether it's capoeira that he does at the end, a straight little capoeira sequence, mm -hmm. whether it's more of his traditional Shotokan style, which for people that don't know, Wesley Snipes' base martial art is Shotokan. And, and uh, from most sources, it is gathered that he is a black belt of some ranking in Shotokan, which I uh, have a tendency to believe uh, just because his, you know, foundation is very good in that style. Uh, but yeah, and his sword work too, you know, what would be Kenjutsu or, you know, whatever, I guess, technically, 
uh, I mean, it all comes off extremely believable. Well, you know, it's it. Uh, um, you jump again. You're like you're you're taking notes, my notes, and translating them through through your end of of this podcast. But I was literally going to ask you because there's so many forms of martial arts we're seeing here. Could you just break them down for us? And, and I love that you did because we haven't done that in a while because a lot of our films are like one or two style based right now. Sure. But this so, film. Oh, is that what you want me to do? Yeah, I'd love okay. it. So off the top of my head, in the opening sequence, we get to see Wesley Snipes use a lot of like, so we'll obviously right at the gate, like Shotokan Karate. But also he does a lot of uh, kind of more spinning, uh, wheel, like spinning hook kicks, which could be karate, but we'll like karate or Taekwondo style, right? Because mm-hmm. Shotokan is very strong, deep stances, big punches, strong kicks. And, you know, he and definitely throws some great side kicks like Shotokan style. But the spinning like high kicks, that's not really traditional Shotokan, but some karate styles do. But so we'll say like, a, you know, he does a lot of karate style, uh, Taekwondo, like spinning kicks. Uh, he also uses uh, some great what could be looked at as like Aiki Jiu-Jitsu in the first mm-hmm. opening sequence. He does like a wrist lock throw, which is great. I love that. I, I was thinking exactly about that sequence there. Yep. His wrist locks are really good in this film. Yep. And he does obviously, you know, a lot of uh, Japanese sword type stuff, but also uniquely, he does a lot of it single handedly, which as we all know with a katana, you usually do two hands. But that was, I remember reading about that years ago, something unique they wanted to show to show the strength of blade and stuff is that he could wield a heavy ass silver katana with one arm. Uh, And so, I mean, uh, in that aspect, I guess whatever it would be like Kenjutsu, I believe is the art of the sword uh, or, and you know, so that that would be there. Uh, and I guess technically maybe like Aedo, like the art of mm-hmm. sword drawing. Uh, and then we mentioned the kind of trapping hand. So all uh, Filipino martial arts or JKD or Wing Chun is in there. We've got, you know, Stephen Dorff's character. I remember there was this DVD that came out in the early 2000s. Listeners, this may know this DVD. It was called like Ultimate Fights. And it was just a compilation DVD. And so they would give an <laughs> intro to the fight scene and give the guys in their style. And on there, they said Deacon Frost, the character played by Stephen Dorff, was a kung fu practitioner. I think mostly because <laughs> he does like a crane jump type thing. I, I I don't know. But anywho, back to the finale, there is uh, some capoeira. He does like a capoeira mm-hmm. exchange with another guy. Uh, there is in this one just, you know, a little bit of like headlock grappling and throws in some like rich hands. So really, that's kind of. We've nailed the head on very specific things they show. Uh, and people might argue, oh, no, man, I saw a punch. You're probably right. Uh, he uses a shovel at one point. So maybe shovel dough also is in there. But yeah, we, we are treated to a lot of great martial artists, a lot of great martial arts type sequences. I mean, he does a lot of like close range knife, what would be like knife type stuff almost would be because he has like his short little spikes where he's stabbing people. Uh, yeah. So, I mean... It's very diverse, the choreography, and nothing comes off looking forced, though, or like, oh, he's attempting to do a wrist lock throw, but that doesn't. Because a lot of the times, you look at, like, early Seagal, right? The best throws ever, because his own students were his stuntmen. Uh, But later Seagal, not as much. And a lot of other films that try to replicate, like, unfortunately, God, I love, you know, I love Don the Dragon Wilson, but most of his wrist lock throws or judo throws or other type throws were always terrible in his films because the stuntmen didn't know what they're doing. And yes, I know judo Gene worked on some Don the Dragon Wilson movies. And obviously I'm not talking about him, just random. And, you know, and 
Don the Dragon Wilson himself, although a collegiate wrestler, was not a judoka or jiu-jitsu guy. And so they come off as very forced and hokey. Whereas, for example, that one in the opening sequence, that's just a great throw. It looks 100%, the body torque. So yeah, you're not taken out of the film. There's there's one sequence where in so many movies, I think a bad guy is uh, either striking him or grabbing him. I think he's grabbing him. And instead, in so many films, we usually see, oh, let's push the hand and and strike, you know, just like a basic move. What I love about uh, this sequence, Blade actually holds on to his hand, pulls him towards. So he's like locked and he does a strike. I mean, all of these things, there's this, there's this very unique pace in Wesley Snipes' fight sequences. We saw it in Passenger 57, obviously in this film. Uh, there's another film, I think it's uh, Game of Death with Gary Daniels idea where you get to see glimpses of that, although it's slightly over-edited, where he knows how to do that pause sell that you would get from Bruce Lee films and, but also keep it fast. Uh, so he's, this is what is really special about this film in particular is, as you were saying, it's not ripping off necessarily other films, but in many ways it's setting a new, a new standard, a new style of filmmaking that other people, I would say even up to the daredevil films with Ryan Reynolds, there is some link. There is a direct link maybe faint between between Blade and Daredevil. And one last thing I want to mention before we start getting to talk about the plot. So in the finale, before he takes on Frost, that last little beat where he's finishing those last guys with the music, with the camera work, with the editing, is like one of my favorite martial arts movie beats of all time. And Wesley Snipes throws, because speaking of techniques, one of the best push kicks ever yes. like, seen on films or push kicks or for Muay Thai practitioners, the rear leg teep, like the right leg. And he just, he torques like, and that's how you know he's a real life martial artist because he knows how to execute the technique and sell, not just push his leg forward like a snap kick. It's a push kick where you see his hip drive forward and he exaggerates it maybe a tiny bit for the camera, but it works because the technique is proper and he just launches it into the dude. And it's like, Ugh. And well, it, like damn, that would hurt. And, you know, in the se- in the one fight sequence before that, one of my favorite sequences is essentially as he gets off the elevator and he's facing the two guys, uh, the guy, the girl with the taser, uh-huh. and then he fights. Then there's that kick sequence where they're just like spinning kicks towards yeah. each other. It's just the whole finale. But I love that moment that you just des- described as well. It's just in, in essence, it's kind of broken into two separate fight sequences because there's the the dramatic moment in between that. I know we're going to talk about the, the, the script, but it's just such a beautiful final act when it comes to choreography. Right. So let's get into the plot. So Blade, pretty much uh, he's a billionaire son and his parents are murdered by the Joker. Uh, mm. So he did. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, so Blade, the basic storyline, Blade is half vampire, half human. He is the day walker. He has all of their strengths and none of their weaknesses, except for the thirst for blood. So, He can walk in the day. He's immune to garlic. He's immune to sunlight. But he still has that thirst for blood. So he has a serum he takes so that he doesn't have to feed off humans. Now, the approach to vampirism in this film is... it's unique and it was one of the first movies to really take more of a scientific approach. So even though there is still some kind of mythological uh, connections in there, the whole, like, they're trying to raise a a blood god. So, but it's kind of, even that is still, there's still some science 
kind of stuff based on how they're going to be defeated. But for the most part, they take kind of a scientific approach. So the whole concept is Blade's mom was pregnant with him, like nine months pregnant when she's attacked by a vampire and dies. They say Blade, but he went underneath, he went through some genetic uh, changes before being born, that giving him the power of the vampire. So he has all their strengths, their regenerative ability, uh, but he does age like a human. So... Uh, whereas vampires don't age. So he has all the tools and power to fight vampires, doesn't have to worry about any of their weaknesses. Uh, you know, once again, not allergic to silver, garlic. So in this film, like, you know, a cross doesn't scare a vampire. Vampire doesn't need permission to enter your house. Vampire's not going to be afraid of a church. Uh, and all those myths that go with more of the uh, kind of religious-based vampire films. But, you know, if you uh, slice them with silver... They're going to get hurt. Or if you stake them with silver, they're going to die. Or if you can stake them in the right spot, even with wood, they will die. Uh, if you inject them with garlic, they will die. If they're thrown out into sunlight, they will die. Now, certain vampires, like in the film, die instantly, whereas others don't from the same sort of attack. And I remember reading once, I think it might have been on the DVD uh, special features, though, the whole idea of that is some vampires are stronger than others, just like some people are. Maybe some have been vampires longer and have more abilities, but that's the, the basic concept. So Blade is partnered up with Whistler, an old man played by Chris Christopherson. For people that don't know, Chris Christopherson was a big country singer in the 1970s and also an actor, the original actor in A Star is Born. Uh, funny side note story, one of my best friends, uh, Max, Max Schultze, uh, who I worked with in China for many years, his dad saw Chris Christopherson in the 70s and he was so, Chris Christopherson was so drunk he fell off the stage mid-performance, passed out and just fell off the stage. So he, he's a rough and tumble kind of guy, but this was like the performance he was born to play. So Whistler uh, and Blade have teamed up to hunt vampires because Whistler's family was killed by vampires and Whistler's, excuse me, Whistler discovered Blade when he was a kid, almost killed him thinking he was a vampire before he realized what he was. So as Blade says in the film, he makes the weapons, I use them. So it's a good arrangement. But uh, yeah, so they're, they're in an unnamed city pretty much where uh, the vampire underworld, they live amongst us, yet they're kind of in the shadows. And there's some really interesting uh, allegories throughout the film and stuff, how they, they kind of show that, how they're right in front of us, yet they're not. And I, I like that stylistically, how that's done. But anyways, he comes to... Uh, head with uh, an up-and-coming vampire kind of, you could say, crime lord played by Deacon Frost, who is not a pure blood, which means he was not born a vampire. He was turned a vampire. We don't know how long ago, but he is kind of standing up against the traditions of the vampire council, and they don't he, like he's, him. He's, he's the punk rock of vampires. He's got his own underground club. Yep. He's he's a scourge. He doesn't have the class of... of uh, your uh, vampire council and the lead vampire council is played by Udo Kier, right? Kier, Kier? Yeah. yeah. I was waiting for you to right. say it because I'll mess it up. Well, uh, yeah. So, and he's interested in, although he's so modern and against the council, he's also interested in some of the ancient traditions that the council has abandoned. So, anywho, uh, our other main side character is Dr. Karen Johnson, played by Inbushe Wright. And uh, she is a 
How, what, what kind of doctor? The blood doctor? Uh, uh, hemato- hematologist. Hemat- Thank you. And she stumbles across uh, the vampires because uh, uh, Frost's right-hand man, uh, played by Donald Logue, uh, Quinn, uh, ends up in her hospital. They think he's dead. He's just actually burned to a crisp because Blade lit him on fire in the opening sequence. Uh, he ends up attacking her and biting her. Blade rescues her, even though he should have just killed her. Uh, however, she becomes crucial to their fight because she actually discovers a, a cure for vampirism, mm-hmm. and she discovers new ways to uh, kill the vampires and eventually finds a way to make a better serum for Blade because he's starting to become resistant to his serum. So th- that's kind of the basic setup, our main characters. And Frost's ultimate goal is, we discover, is to raise a blood god called La Magra, which uh, ends up, spoiler alert, we find out later, requires the blood of the Daywalker, which would be Blade. So uh, really the, the film is a series of events of Dr. Karen Wright, Blade, and uh, Whistler battling against Frost and his uh, minions until the finale in which uh, the blood god is raised and then Blade has to stop them before they can succeed in world domination. Yes. And, you know, uh, within that plot, what, what's really, I think what really helps build this universe because they do a great job of building the Blade character in the Blade universe without being in your face within that first act. Uh, Whistler essentially connects all the dots in a short conversation with with Dr. Karen. Uh, it's it's that dynamic between the the New Bloods led by Stephen Dorff and the Vampire Council. So there's there by having layers of struggle exist and not just here's good, here's bad. Uh, you get you get a really well-rounded universe built and some really great character depth. I know we did a uh, a top 10 list of villains at one point and I don't think either of us included Steven Dorf because we didn't. But no, yeah. upon rewatching this film, there there's a legitimate case to be made for him to be on my list at least because that he is so he's so driven by his anger and and thirst for blood, yes, but thirst for power, that he's eradicating his own council, and then he essentially eradicates the entire council and himself because he just flew too close to the sun, I kind of so to speak. But uh, it's a very it's it's a very well layered film, and. You can see why David Goyer or David S. Goyer went on to work on so many films that we've enjoyed thoroughly. Like if his name's affixed to it, we're enjoying it. And the thing we haven't even mentioned yet is the fact that this is just a legit horror movie too. The vampires are scary as F, right? And they are blood and they're when they go into rage mode, they it's not like they transform a la Buffy the Vampire where their faces actually change, but they just obviously, you know, their fangs are more present and it's like very animalistic. It's like when a dog is calm and then attacks her. It's you know, the and the use of the blood and the gore when they do bite somebody and like that. So there is some scary moments like the opening sequence, which is one of the most famous ones where uh, this poor uh, dude is brought to a club by a girl he's obviously trying to hook up with, played by Tracy Lords, who uh, was a well-known adult film star. 
early on in her career before she segued into being uh, a legitimate actress. But anyway, uh, he's brought to what he thinks is just a normal club. Uh, and then as soon as they get there, the girl just starts ignoring him. Everyone's kind of like pushing him around. It's like a big rave. And he's just like, this place is weird. Before suddenly he realizes the ceiling is raining blood and he's in a club full of vampires and they all turn into vampire mode on him. And could you imagine like, first time watchers in the theater like just being like oh my because it's scary but it is also very scary it's like a a nightmare scenario that anybody could think about being that poor guy like literally in a, a, a warehouse rave with hundreds of hungry vampires and you being the only human you are and the so sacrifice so the the, the 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 blood is coming through the the sprinkler system right and essentially our our uh, our victim, our innocent victim, is crawling along the floor crying, and it be, it turns out to be one of the best cinema cinema best introductions in I think superhero history. There are had there have been a lot of great shots of superheroes being introduced, including eighty nine Batman, cinematic introductions. Thank you very much. There we go. It is a fantastic cinematic <laughs> introduction. The because when he he crosses this boundary of vampires at his feet, they're like they're standing there. The the blood rain has stopped. The music has stopped. He looks up. We see the boots. We see the black boots slowly panning up. It's working. The camera's working its way up. Blade Wesley Snipes, but it cuts away before it gets to his full face, yes. which is fantastic. It's going to delay his introduction even just a moment further. And then when we finally, then, you know, the family, camera camera finally captures Wesley Snipes in his full blade getup. I mean, it's a great introduction. And as you said, it's completely horrifying. And then there's like, okay, now we have someone who can fight against these vampires, maybe. It's just fantastic. It's a fantastic sequence. But there's a lot of horror throughout this film. Oh, yeah. Uh, definitely. I mean... And yeah, I just uh, and the, the other cool thing about the watching the film nowadays is, first of all, when it comes to makeup and what we would call like standard real effects, they all stand the test of time. Yes. And a lot of the special effects and or CG still and this was 98 still stand up today. Some of it, not so much, but most of it and even the stuff that quote unquote doesn't stand up, it doesn't take you out of it you don't laugh at it it's just like okay you know that uh, th the finale has a little bit when technically frost becomes la magra that some of that blood special effects it's outdated but it's not disturbingly outdated but a lot of the stuff throughout is still stands up you don't question it. you're like all right it, it, the film is in that sweet spot between like 80s creature yes uh creature like I don't sam even know raimi or yes. you know yeah and, real effects and, and pre going too far on special effects uh, that happened in the early 2000s and the area where like the blood, you know, it's clearly like CGI blood. It's now more a style than something to laugh at. Just like when you go back and watch an old Sam, Sam Raimi film, right. one of the Bruce Campbell films, that stuff is still horrifying. It's also like funny, but funny on purpose. But and, but it should be said, most of the blood is real throughout. It's like uh, yes. not we're talking about. There's there's occasionally like some yeah. some splatter, but like the splatter is like it's stylistic. It's like you see in a lot of like even in the later two thousands uh, 
pre 2010, like the crank films, you see like the blood, like this, it's like, uh, it's just fun is what that, and I hate to like, I don't want like people, I don't want my family to worry when they listen. Well, Gavin's talking about blood splatter being fun, but it's, it's, it's in the style of, of campiness while being, while maintaining very, it's essence of being an action martial arts horror film. And it it's, and a lot of horror films do have camp in it. So like, even like, again, like you said, like you don't laugh at the special effects. They, they are the style of the film and it works. Yeah. Uh, couldn't have put it better myself, my man. Uh, I had a, a thought and then I lost it. I was going to bring something up. Hold on. We were talking about the special effects. We were talking about uh, the style, the camp. Was it around when I said campiness? No, I saw your light no. eyes light up. Hey, you know what my father used to say? If you can't remember, it probably wasn't that important. But that's because he remembered everything. Uh, mm. And I forget important stuff all the time. Uh, so, oh, man, and I felt like it was a good final closing thing to talk about, too. Darn it, AJ. This is where we introduce our new sponsor, Ginkgo Biloba. Yeah. <laughs> well, I tried taking it, but I could never remember. Oh, that was the, the joke in the 90s for people that don't remember. Uh, people who don't remember Jiminy Glick. Jiminy, oh, Jiminy Glick. That's right, Jiminy Glick. Uh, dang it, what was I going to say? Hold on, give me a second. I'm, I'm backtracking. Uh, uh, opening sequence, special effects, blood being mostly uh, real. Uh, some CG. Oh, well. I guess I don't remember. Anywho, okay. uh, any final closing thoughts on Blade? Probably, probably one of the coolest characters presented ever on film might compete with Steve McQueen in The Getaway. Ooh, nice. Yeah, and as I always say, you know, it's tough for me to pick my all-time favorite comic book movie. It comes down to Blade, Batman 89, and Ninja Turtles, technically, right? But this is my favorite Marvel film, no matter, of the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. This is the best one, the one and only, my favorite. And I probably still put Blade 2 as number two also, but, uh, and I, I like a lot of the Marvel films, but... Blade, man, it just doesn't get much better than this in terms of horror martial arts. Agree. Yeah. Uh, and it's funny, that thing I can't remember to talk about, I feel like was like the last thing we didn't mention. Oh, well, maybe if we think about it later. But uh, do you have something for us today in terms of language corner? I do. It is oh. something spooktacular. Ooh, let's hear it. It's ghost. Oh, that's perfect. Okay. Okay. So you date. You day. Oh, hold on. You day. Okay. Sorry about that. We had a little bit of uh, technical difficulties. Anywho, uh, my my headphones accidentally came unplugged and then caused everything to go crazy. So I actually didn't even get right as you were about to say it (laughs) is when it cut out. So. Let's hear it. Ghost okay, in so Japanese. Ghost in Japanese. Yurei. Yurei. Yu, Y-U, Rei. R-E-I. Yurei. Yurei. 
Yure. Yeah. I like it. That's easy enough. Yeah. Yure. So what's Yure. Ghostbusters? Do you know the Japanese title for Ghostbusters? I, I'd i have to actually look it up, the yeah, movie title, but I think it was probably like Ghostbusters. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. They do a lot of the phonetics. And for yeah, people that don't realize, it's not literal translations a lot of the time. I was just more curious as to what, like, maybe it would be like Ghost Hunter or, you know, Ghost Fighter. But you're right. I, I always forget that they do the phonetic thing for Japanese releases. It, it always confused me when the Japanese movie title for Karate Kid was Best Kiddo, Best Kid. Yeah. Instead of Karate Kid. But- Maybe because they didn't think the karate was very good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, oh, we cannot call this karate. Uh, <laughs> but anywho, fun episode. We're going to get this out to you guys for tomorrow. So it'll be out before Halloween. Happy Halloween to everybody, which is technically next week. Uh, so we could have dropped this episode the day after, but we like to do it usually the day before. Anyways, have, and this weekend is probably going to be most people's, you know, festivities so be yeah. safe out there always be safe uh not that we're the psa podcast but in this day and age people uber and lyft is the way to go so please do not drink and drive uh have a fun time and i don't really have any halloween plans except for on actual halloween night i will be going to uh my sister's house to hand out candy to kids so oh, that sounds like fun and they do it every year i didn't go last year when we first moved here to fresno because I was at the dojo, but uh, this year, uh, being that I just fought, I don't have to be training uh, full time. Uh, so I'm going to take the night off and uh, go eat some chili and cornbread and uh, hand out candy to kids. Oh, that sounds great. All right. Well, my man, uh, this has been fun and we'll talk soon. See you later. Adios, amigo.